0: Chapter seven of Things Seen in Venice by Lonsdale and Laura Rag This Librivox recording is in the public domain Varia The Soul of a City how distinctly it manifests itself to our spirit and our senses, yet how difficult it is to convey an impression of its intangible and impalpable essence. If we were to set down asleep in a street in Rome, Florence, Bologna, Milan, we should know to which city we had been transplanted before our eyes had been open five minutes but if we were spirited to venice we should know it i think before we were well awake those who live long there even feel a subtle difference between the different cestieri of the city the stream of passengers across a bridge they always seem like walking figures on a stage the gestures of loiterers by a fruit-stall the physiognomy of young mothers with infants in their arms, or of children playing in seemingly dangerous proximity to a canal. The arrangement, even the odour of the shops, are not quite the same in Canareggio, as in Dorsoduro, in San Polo, as in Castello. Every campo has its own group of shops within it, or in an adjacent calle, which supplies the neighbourhood with all the necessaries of life and first as a social centre a place where a coterie of intimates drop in and talk and glance through the halfpenny paper of the day is the pharmacia the chemists it is usually a decidedly attractive place neat and bare with its few patent medicines locked away in cupboards and its shelves decorated with long rows of lovely faience jars some of them plain blue and white others decorated in delicate coloured designs they are more artistic symbols of the trade than rosamond's purple jar and are or were useful as well as ornamental nowadays however they are apt to stand empty partly because they are too valuable for daily handling collectors give high prices for them when they come into the market partly because dame fashion contrives to rule the physician almost as much as the dressmaker and the drugs which cured our forefathers are now thus the jar bearing as part of its design the name triacca must needs remain unfilled though the city was once famous for this compound manufactured publicly on a fixed day in the year with extraordinary solemnities we have it on bacon's authority that venice treacle was one of the few medicaments of his time which was mixed according to established and unvarying formulae two or three points about italian dispensing are worth noting no patent medicine may be sold unless its ingredients are published on the cover to every preparation sent out a label must be fixed on which the physician's prescription is transcribed powders are taken in wafers chialdi easily swallowed when wetted the taste of the medicament is disguised and it is more easily assimilated and cheaply dispensed than in pill or tabloid form the inexperienced foreigner is apt to think that the word drogheria painted over a shop is a synonym for chemist, but if, instead, he see the word spezier or spezieri, and there are not a few calli in Venice called del spezier, he will easily recognise its identity with the French épicier. Originally, indeed, the chemists, farmacisti, and the droghieri or spezieri represented two branches of the same trade and formed a single confraternity. But while the former were scattered over the city, the dealers in spices and olive oil, and manufacturers and retailers of sugar and candles, abode chiefly in the street between the church of San Salvatore and the Rialto Bridge, called after them Spezieria. and gradually the farmacisti and spezieri drew apart, and formed two separate guilds. Retail trade today is, tends towards concentration rather than towards differentiation but in venice which lags behind the hurrying world beyond the lagoons old trade divisions are maintained only in the vicinity of st mark's is anything found approaching to the modern comprehensive grocery store and the confectioner baker and maker of pasta are three distinct entities the baker produces a pleasing variety of bread there is bread made with milk and with oil in dialect cologgio there are long loaves of coarse texture and standard hue little breads known as bussolai or panni veneziano, twisted into odd hard shapes powdery in texture white hard and unnourishing yet somehow very pleasant to soak in soup or coffee and in the better-class shops there is panni francese made into the usual french shapes of roll and crescent and the long hard sticks so nice to nibble between the courses of luncheon or dinner which are called gressini and are the invention of the bakers of turin the antiquity dealers and their wares are great features of venice they are of various grades and pretensions and the best finds may often be made in the abodes of the humblest though the obscure man having no particular reputation to lose must be handled with caution of course the demand for genuine antiques far exceeds the supply and in consequence imitation has become a fine art moreover really old pieces of furniture are apt to be exceedingly rough compared with french and english work of the same date partly perhaps because the best specimens of the cabinet makers craft remain in the palaces for which they were made or have long since been taken out of italy Further what looks magnificent in the large spaces of an italian palazzo in sunlight glancing off the water and broken and reflected by marble architraves gilded beams and clouded venetian mirrors has quite a different effect in a moderate-sized english drawing-room beside chippendale and flowered chintz the rococo gilded consoles and settees and the painted cabinets and commodes with their delicate landscapes and gay figures and flowers are particularly ill-adapted for transplantation to northern climes. I once heard of an English painter, who, revelling in the glorious colour and quaint designs of the sales of Venetian fishing smacks, took pains to purchase one and have it sent to London. He hung it up on the wall of his studio. He found it dead, colourless and uninteresting. This is a story with a moral for those who would take home curios from Venice it must be owned however that to wander through an antiquario's room and examine and appraise its contents is a fascinating pursuit for a wet day but the inexperienced traveller would do well to secure the company of an italian friend at all events he should never trust to the chartered recommendation of his gondolier or be induced to pay half the price of goods which are to be shipped home a small sum may justly be demanded as capara or earnest money an evidence of good faith. The price of any big purchase might be left with the English consul or with a respectable hotel-keeper to be delivered as soon as notice is received of the arrival of the goods in England. Even the smartest milliners, dressmakers and haberdashers trade under conditions which seem curiously difficult measured by modern standards of commercial comfort. Other cities have advanced. Venice is unchanged to evelyn and other travellers of bygone days the merceria seemed one of the gayest and sweetest streets in the world the twentieth-century visitor admires its picturesque windings but finds its shops irritatingly dark and incommodious and certainly does not praise it for being exceedingly clean and paved with brick yet we can well believe that seventeenth-century venice must have been extraordinarily agreeable and sanitary compared with other cities of the epoch since no animals wandered about the streets and refuse instead of lying festering outside the houses was thrown into the canals and twice a day carried by the tide out to sea there is one advantage about venetian shops they have no sales a few articles may be marked occasione or a departing tradesman will put the placard liquidazione in his windows But the feverish excitement of London in January and June would accord ill with the Venetian temperament. Great frugality in the matter of paper and cartons is practised. Newspaper is largely used for making parcels and the little girls-they generally come in couples-who bring home a hat are instructed to wait in the hall for the box. A first-rate dressmaker sends a delicate gown enveloped not in soft paper but in a white wrapper, and the porter waits for the wrapper and the box, as well as for the expected mancia of twenty or thirty centissimi. Gloves are usually bought at the maker's, and are good and inexpensive. Anybody wanting a peculiar cut or shade of quality can have them made to his taste. In this, as in so much else, Italian and especially Venetian retail trade harks back to ancient types. Akin to the guantiere, or glove-maker, is the worker in leather. All sorts of articles are made, and books are elaborately bound in embossed, coloured and gilded leather. An industry peculiar to Venice is represented in the bead shop, which is a sort of by-product of the glass factory. It is a strangely seductive place, and whoever enters it feels impelled to purchase girdles and necklaces, bags and hat-pins, not to speak of strings of beads of many hues and shapes for home threading. Who wears the beads bought in Venice is a dark mystery to me. Perhaps it is part of the bigger problem. What becomes of things sold at bazaars? For a bazaar at home is an excuse for much bead-buying and much worrying of the Anglo-American colony in Venice. I once knew a busy Englishwoman who was asked by a slight acquaintance in England to send her a hundred hatpins all different by return of post bead stringing is an occupation which augments the income of many a venetian woman it is not very lucrative but it demands little intelligence or skill and can be practised under agreeable conditions all through the summer visitors to venice are familiar with the sight of women seated outside their doors with trades of beads on their knees and in their hands the long pierced wires which so greatly facilitates the work of stringing a good deal of lace making and embroidery is now done as homework the greater and better portion however is produced in lace schools attached to the large lace emporiums the long room with its lines of figures many of them graceful and girlish bending over frames is a scene worthy of an artist's studio venetian women in spite of painters encomiums are really far less beautiful than those of many other parts of italy notably than their near relatives in the hill country of the veneto but they carry themselves well and the mere absence of ugly hats and ill-fitting coats is an immense gain to their appearance and incidentally to that of streets and campi through which they move their heavy black fringed shawls expensive to purchase but last for years and like the spanish mantilla lend grace and distinction to the wearer unlike the mantilla however they are not worn on the head save perhaps during a sudden storm summer and winter the woman of the venetian popolo goes uncovered on scorching days sheltering her well-dressed head with a parasol whether this custom proceeds from vanity or from economy and the beauty of Venetian hair be a cause or an effect, is a problem which, from the nature of women, cannot be satisfactorily determined. Certain it is that hairdressing is a fine art with them. They perform the office of coiffeurs for each other, and on special occasions seek professional skill, but their belief that long hair is a glory induces habits contrary to the precepts of St. Paul. They are devout in a certain careless fashion, they rarely go out to their morning's work or marketing without entering a church and since the obligation of dressing in one's best for worship which is so inimical to week-day church-going with the english poor never enters the mind of an italian it follows that the venetian woman prays as she labours uncovered the habit is the more curious because in bygone days venetian maidens of all but the poorest families went veiled as in the east and the ideas of the popolino regarding the seclusion and subjection of women have still an eastern tinge. Those who are interested in the homes and customs and etiquette of the people are advised to read the chapter on home life in Mr. Horatio Brown's Life on the Lagoons. Even the casual visitor to Venice, if he hire a gondola by the week, may see one Venetian interior the gondolier is generally pleased to show his modest home his wife his mother and some pretty children and is especially proud of his neat bedroom with its whitewashed walls adorned only with some cheap coloured pictures of saints its walnut furniture and excellent wooden beds iron bedsteads are little accounted of in these circles but the visitors will probably wax more enthusiastic over the kitchen with its pretty flowered plates its really splendid secchi, and other copper pans and brass utensils kept bright not with pernicious polishes but with sand lemon-juice and a great deal of elbow-grease these secchie are no longer to be found in every venetian kitchen for now that water from the aqueduct is laid on to all the larger houses big receptacles for fetching and keeping well-water are no longer in demand the picturesque but unwholesome days when venice depended on springs that were generally brackish and when great skins of sweet water were rowed over the lagoon from the brenta and hawked through the streets are almost forgotten now that every palazzo and the well of every campo are supplied from the hill country near bassano with water delicious to the taste and cool in the hottest summer venice has good milk as well as good water the product of the pastures of the near mainland. One large landowner has depots in several quarters of the city, and his milk can be bought sterilised in sealed bottles. Meat is not very good, and looks particularly untempting in a dark shop in a dirty calle. Happily, the butchers always close at midday. Poultry is indifferent and dear, especially when the bidding is against the purveyors to the big hotels but at certain seasons excellent wild fowl from the salt marshes can be obtained fish is as good as the days when madame piozzi mrs thrale praised it the adriatic is in this respect very unlike the mediterranean and there are several species peculiar to its upper reaches which have quaint names and nice flavours especially good are mullet trilia a fleshy fish called coda di literally toad's tail and a kind of enlarged prawn called scampo scampi are usually served as a contorno garniture to other boiled fish the fish is always fresh the supply tends to be less than the demand and the best fish is not sent off by train as in english fishing towns nor is it kept on ice in fishmongers shops cook buys in the fish market or from some hawker who has himself been there betimes, and sometimes after rough weather in Lent a late comer will find the stalls as bare as mother hubbard's cupboard. The picturesque little fish-market in Campiello Pescaria of the Riva degli Schiavone, and the large one at the Rialto are well worth a visit on a fine morning, while the erberia fruit and vegetable quay in front of the old buildings of Rialto should be seen late in the afternoon when the barges arrive from the mainland to deposit their green freights it is of course on account of this transport from afar and the dazio impost exacted on all foodstuffs brought into the city that fruit flowers and vegetables are less cheap and plentiful in venice than in other italian towns while of the things accounted necessaries of life corn wine and oil wine alone is cheap in venice oil is dear since it is imported from southern italy the climate of the veneto being too vigorous for olives the poorest classes buy bread very sparingly their farinaceous food chiefly takes the shape of polenta a solid porridge of maize flour turned out on one rounded wooden board and flattened with another which is eaten in great chunks hot or cold this polenta with a little fried fish or some strange mollusks, and perhaps a salad, form the working-day dinner of the gondolier, his family, and his social equals, varied with rice and cabbage, or with the risibisi, a risotto made with peas. In the evening there may be more polenta and soup or vegetables, beans hot or cold with oil or vinegar, or made into soup, supply the greater portion of the poor man's proteids they are the product of the northern Veneto, and of excellent quality. The same praise cannot be bestowed upon the wine, save that produced in certain districts, notably near Conegliano. In good years, the rather sweet white wine, when new, is exceedingly pleasant, and the Englishman in Venice drinks it readily, but the Venetian, as a rule, only likes red wine, and red wine does not keep in Venice only at the time of vintage is the red wine of the veneto the best comes from the neighbourhood of verona really good drinking then the pure fresh garnet coloured grape juice may be had for fifty or sixty centimes a litre and in exceptional years even for forty-five centimes but this autumnal superabundance of vino nostrano maketh sad the heart of man dwelling in the vicinity of a wine-shop for it leads to revelry by night the men of the venetian popolo are not tempted to solitary drinking even the best of wine in their opinion requires the additional flavour of conversation and each of them has his favourite osteria which serves him as a club there in a room with a stove comfortably stuffy after the cold of their own dwellings or in a vine shaded yard dignified by the name of garden which is so much cooler than the stifling kitchen at home the little circle of habitues meet day after day and sip their wine drive bargains and discuss the affairs of the neighbourhood the immediate neighbourhood that is for the births deaths and marriages failures and successes of other quarters do not concern them they are foreign affairs about which no one can know much or feel strongly the habit of spirit-drinking is unhappily growing favoured by the cold raw winter climate workmen going forth to the day's labours on a chilly morning are apt to fortify themselves with a bicchierino of grappa a kind of coarse brandy which at that early hour is so much more quickly easily and cheaply procured than hot coffee this practice cannot but undermine the constitution especially when no food is taken till the day is old The Venetian is wonderfully indifferent as to the hour when he breaks his fast. I have known gondoliers do a hard morning's work without touching food or drink. In conclusion, it might be well to say a few words about the climate and the health of the city of the lagoons. The winters are perhaps colder than in England. That is to say, the cold is more continuous, and one feels it greatly, for there is less comfort within doors the gondola is not so warm as a broom rapid exercise can be got only at the lido and the draughty sunless stone-paved calli are infinitely more chilly than a hedge-bordered road venice is spared the ice and snow of bologna though a snowfall occasionally occurs and the piercing dust-laden winds of florence but in december and january there is often fog and wild weather seawards which sends the gulls screaming up the canalazzo spring comes sooner and more certainly than on the northern side of the alps but dwellers in venice miss its sweet signals the bleating of lambs and the song of nesting birds the scent of violets the feeling of rising sap the surprise of opening buds summer is really uninterruptedly warm early in may winter clothes are put away with every precaution against the industrious moth and muslins and very thin tweeds or flannels become the only wear. Light overcoats and wraps should, however, be kept at hand for use during the chilly hours or days following a thunderstorm. There are spells of uncomfortable heat, which are the more trying because the difference between the night and day temperature in Venice is very slight. Still, one is well content to linger there till the Festival of St. James the Apostle, July 25th when according to venetian superstition and everybody's observation the swallows seek new quarters then zanzaniere mosquito curtains must be put up for the departure of the birds who had preyed on them leaves the exasperating insects free to prey on venice and they fatten and multiply till autumn rains extinguish them mosquitoes are kept alive all the year in some of the hotels by excessive heating and a continual supply of fresh aliment, in private apartments they are rarely seen or heard before july but for these pests and the prevalence of the exhausting shirocco wind september and october would be the pleasantest as they are certainly the loveliest months in the lagoon from questions constantly put to me i gather that there is a general impression in this country that venice is an extremely unhealthy city and in summer positively pestilential as a matter of fact it has less illness and a smaller death-rate than most other towns of the same size and there is and can be nothing especially unwholesome about the summer months twice a day as we have already noticed the fresh sea-water flows in through the gates of the lidi twice a day it ebbs carrying with it the refuse of the city it does not cease to rise and fall and perform its beneficent operations in summer, nor are there any stagnant fever-breeding waters near the city, which at that season gains in salubrity by its emptiness. The least wholesome time, perhaps, is spring, because the enormous concourse of tourists tends to produce insanitary conditions. Moreover, the Grand Canal, the spot where they most do congregate, is constantly churned up in a way uncontemplated by the old makers of venice as the penny steamers ply in rapid succession to take up passengers who await them in crowds upon every pontoon the smells of venice are however far less dangerous to health than the fritture of all kinds of little fish which are temptingly served in restaurants and sometimes appear in the cosmopolitan menu of fashionable hotels they are caught too near land to be safe eating and the tourist will do well to eschew them together with oysters salads of uncooked vegetables and strawberries grown on well manured lands and picked and packed by dirty fingers but the greatest risks run by visitors to venice are those of their own making the brilliant sun of an italian march or april tempts them to don the lightest summer garments and English girls appear in cotton gowns, while Venetians are still wrapped in furs. Then a gondola, without covering, is not the same as an open carriage. Damp, provocative of rheumatic chills, rises from the water, and the Italian sticks to the Feltze till summer has quite begun. But the stranger objects to the feltse; He thinks it's stuffy. It is not so if the door be left open, and it impedes his view the sudden chill of sunset so sensible and so deadly on the riviera and in southern italy is indeed not felt in venice but the anglo-saxon tourist who after a warm and tiring day emerges at night from the heated atmosphere of the hotel dining-room and goes forth in gondola without cover and with very insufficient overcoats and wraps certainly does his best to court sickness i can only add that if he succeeds in his wooing he will find very comfortable quarters in the english nursing home on the judecca end of chapter seven end of things seen in venice by lonsdale and laura wragge read by phil benson in sydney australia